Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. Um, we feel like we are have been a part of you. I was an elder here for a while, and we've, as I said, been your missionaries uh, to the military in Hawaii, and uh, Philippians 1, chapter 3 to 5, verses 3 to 5, I think, is that up? Ah, oh, there we go, sorry, I was looking for it here. Um, anyway, it's, I thank my God every time I remember you, because you have a partnership in the gospel, and you have certainly done that for us for the last 12 years, both by your friendship and love, and by your support of us. So we love you, and we appreciate the opportunity to be your missionaries. Another verse that um, I've really liked is Colossians 1, verse 6. And uh, it, it says in the older NIV, All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as I've been doing since the day you understood it, God's grace and all its <clears throat> truth. That in our 12 years in Hawaii, God has allowed the gospel to go all over the world. And, that's, you know, that's just blown us away. We've stayed in one spot and ministered to people mostly in the military and seen people go out from there all over the world. So I have just a real quick example of that. Uh, a couple that we ministered to, um, Zoar and Samantha Morales. We gave him some help in their marriage. I mentored him, encouraged him. And just as we left Hawaii... <clears throat> Zoar left on a seven-month deployment to Okinawa, Korea, and Australia. Now, those of you that have been around the military know that all three of those can be death traps <laughs> for, uh, for people. I know a number of guys who have compromised their faith, but he met with a few other guys, and they prayed that God would help them be a light and stand, be faithful to, um, to God, to their spouses, and to their witness. <clears throat> well, he sent me at the end of the, he just got back a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the plaque that they put together for that trip, you can see here, um, that's the MU, the Marine Expeditionary, Expeditionary Unit, excuse me, and uh, they put John 1-5 at the center of that plaque. Now, this is the official plaque that's hanging on the wall at Marine Headquarters in Hawaii. John 1.5, that the, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overwhelm it. In today's military. <laughs> well, you can see why I love my job. <laughs> Getting a chance to mentor and encourage guys like Zoar uh, to live out their faith and witness for him. And that's happening, as I said, really all over the world. <clears throat> Today I want to talk about a question. I put that out. I like questions. Um, I like questions because they make us think. And um, in Romans chapter 7, in fact, uh, Christianity Today this summer put out as their lead cover the statement from Paul in Romans 7. He says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And Paul describes the struggle of trying to live out the Christian faith on willpower. 
right at the end of Romans chapter 7. I'd appreciate it if you'd get out your Bibles, because uh, we're going to spend our rest of our time really in Romans 7 and 8. But looking at verses 21 to 25, I'd like to just read that for us. He says, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, then my sinful nature is slave to the law of sin. Now, how many times does he use law in different ways in that passage? <laughs> what law are you going to live by in 2018? And I have a little fun video I'd like to run a little clip of just to get us thinking about this. that illustrate? <laughs> In the 17th century, Newton discovered a law that was already there called gravity. And those were a lot of attempts to overcome gravity. A little over 100 years ago, people were really obsessed with how do you fly? How do you overcome gravity? And those were just some fun clips from a movie called Those Magnificent Men, Their Flying Machines which depicted a race in um, 1919, 1910, I'm sorry, 
between London and Paris, a distance of 214 miles. And I think the winner of that race, it took over 25 hours to get there. <laughs> but the Wright brothers, if you, if you are familiar with that, there were a couple of clips of them. In 1903, December of 1903, they finally figured out the laws of a new law, aerodynamics. And they flew 160 feet the first time, uh, over 900 feet in their longest flight that day. But then they went back, and for about two years, they studied what they were learning about the law of aerodynamics. And they discovered that aerodynamics is called a higher law than the law of gravity because it allows you to overcome the law of gravity. And from that point, you know, for thousands of years, men had tried to fly. But from 1903, when the Wright brothers really began to figure out, and they wrote formulas and figured out, you know, how propellers worked and wings and all those things to understand airflow. Anyway, within 66 years of learning those beginning principles of the law of, gravity, of, uh, law of aerodynamics, we put a man on the moon. Just 66, because they understood the laws of aerodynamics. And, you know, a lot of you fly uh, regularly. It's not really so much fun to fly commercially anymore, but I still, every once in a while, have a friend who will take me up in a small airplane and he experience that fun and freedom of overcoming the law of gravity and being in the air, just uh, up with the birds as men envisioned for years. Well, I like to compare that with what Paul talks about now in Romans chapter 8. So if we go back to there, he had just talked about that struggle and his inability by willpower to overcome the law of sin and death. And he says in Romans chapter 8, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life sets you free from the law of sin and death. So, he, he defines. Those are the, the two primary things he's going to talk about in chapter 8. The law of sin and death, and then the law of freedom by the Spirit. Or he just says it simply, the law of the Spirit. Um, sorry. I'll get myself where I'm at. So what he says is that the law of the Spirit, I want your law than the law of sin and death. And we're going to just, I want to work through Romans 8 really quickly and talk about seven principles he talks about that are part of living that higher law, just like learning the laws of our dynamics that, you know, the Wright brothers and then many others followed in their wake to learn how to fly and have that freedom of being able to overcome gravity. He talks about the laws of uh, life in the Spirit and living by the Spirit. And the very first one he talks about is that there's no condemnation. And I think I'm moving ahead a little bit to the, to the list, if you don't mind, sorry. What he says in verse 3, he says, is what the law, speaking of the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, was powerless to do 
because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sins in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The first thing he says is that we were powerless to overcome the law of sin and death. He talked about that, you know, all through Romans to this point. And he, he said that, you know, I, I know what to do. You know, and he said, every time that I choose to sin, back in chapter 6, he said, what I'm doing is just buying a little more death because he says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what he's challenging us by in Romans 8 is to live by the gift <laughs> rather than uh, giving any more power to the flesh and to uh, the death that comes from sin. We, we all sin. We're powerless. And he says God took care of that by sending Jesus. And he sent him to pay the penalty for our sin and to give us the opportunity of life in him. The next point that I'd like to look at is that he says, you know, we are God's children. Um, today is the 31st of the month. And I understand that at Baskin Robbins, they have a, because it's 31 flavors, they have a discount on ice cream. <laughs> so uh, suppose you go to Baskin Robbins today and get your favorite ice cream and some kid comes and says, can I have a lick? <laughs> said, this is my favorite ice cream. What do you mean you want a lick? But now what if that's your son or daughter or your grandchild? <laughs> there's a huge difference when there's a relationship. That's the second point that Paul wants to make for us here in Romans. And there's actually several more I've looked at, but I boiled it down to these seven. Um, but he says that God sees us as his sons and daughters. And he says we are heirs with Christ, co-heirs <coughs> of what God um, owns, what God wants to do. We're really co-heirs of God's mission in the world. And that is, goes all the way back to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. He said to Abraham, in you, that is in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Doing perspectives, you're going you're gonna to look at that verse. <laughs> perspective is one of my favorite courses, if you haven't done it. Uh, or, you know, uh, it, it's a great course. I forgot to mention, Nancy and I are here uh, for a nine-month sabbatical. We... Uh, Spent 12 years in Hawaii, and we're doing a transition, trying to figure out what's next, and uh, we're trying to reevaluate where we're at. And, you know, again, perspectives is one of those really awesome. I was thinking about our perspectives course that I went through, let's see, early 90s. And as far as I understand it, two different churches were started among unreached people groups out of that course of about 25 people. The one in China and one in uh, Kazakhstan among uh, two different groups that didn't have a known church among them because of the challenge of perspective and 
people responding to that and getting involved in the process of um, because Jesus made the promise uh, in Matthew twenty four fourteen the gospel of this kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come and so that's still the promise <laughs> Jesus said it was going to happen and uh, perspectives really helps figure out how to be part of that. <clears throat> Well, the next point that, that I picked out from Romans 8 is Romans 8, 26 and 27. The next part of that, you know, well, I'm sorry, I've, I missed one. He said, if we live according, those who, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So he says, you know, that living by the spirit is having our mind set on God. There, there's some disciplines that we can practice that help with that. But it's more about the disciplines helping us be where we want to be. We'll talk about that a little bit more at the end. But back to Romans 8, 26 and 27. The next thing that Paul talks about, about living by the Spirit, is he says, the Spirit helps in our weakness. He says that we don't know how to pray. <laughs> you know, I've found myself trying to tell the God who runs the universe what to do. That, <laughs> uh, now he does invite us to come boldly to his throne of grace, to find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. He challenges us to pray, gives us the privilege of prayer. But we don't know how to pray as we ought. I think we, I struggle with that. But it says the Spirit helps us pray. And the Spirit helps us by taking what is on God's heart and communicating to us, and on the same side, taking what is on our heart and communicating to God. He translates for us. So he helps us as we pray. The next point he makes is in Romans 8, uh, 28 to 20, 30, I'm sorry. Phew. I'm going to settle down wrong. In Romans 8, 28, he makes that amazing statement that all things work together for good for them that love God. Now, very often we take that verse by itself, but he goes on to uh, explain what he means by that. He says, for God, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What's that good that God is working toward? Well, he says it's to help us be like Jesus. Now, when, you know, we out what we're like and what Jesus is like, how much change is needed? <laughs> Do we usually change more when things are easy and where things are challenging? You say, yeah, I mean, again, we can 
cooperate with God. He challenges us to do that. Uh, and that's part of, you know, we're, we're right at the cusp of starting in 2018. Uh, anybody making resolutions or goals or plans? <laughs> um, what Paul is challenging us to do is do those with the power of the Spirit, with the help of the Spirit, and do it um, with God directing that process and helping us be conformed to Jesus so that more and more of the world can see what Jesus is like because we're the representatives of that. The next point he makes is 831 and 32. Have you ever heard people say, God is against me? God is not, you know, God is not for me. And often it's because of how we perceive of what we've done. And what Paul says here in Romans 8, 31 and 32 is that, wait a minute, God's not for, not, God is not against us. He says, um, who will bring any charge? I'm sorry. He who did not spare his own son, verse 32, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If God sent his son to die in our place and to provide salvation for us, how can he say he's against us? And they said, who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ is the one who died so that, again, we, he, is, he is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. The next point he asks is, who can separate us from the love of God? And he goes on to say, no one and nothing. <laughs> In fact, you know, um, rather than taking away suffering, as Paul talked about, when he talked about living as his children, says we also suffer with him because he suffered with us. That we're suffering because of the curse, it says in the middle of chapter 8, and that is a part of this existence. And he says, you know, we're waiting for that glorious freedom of heaven, of the new life, of when God makes everything right. But in the meantime, he says, you know, what can separate us? Can trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written, we, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered to be sheep and slaughtered, knowing all these things. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Um, many of you know, last year Nancy went through a bout of cancer. And, you know, we uh, went through the you know, the cancer operation and uh, chemo and radiation. <laughs> she went through it. I just kind of <laughs> stayed by her side in the whole process. But, you know, in that time, we felt even more the presence of God. And even her doctor during that time um, was touched by and really amazed at the calmness in which we went through the process, and she's been cancer-free for the last year. Praise God. <laughs> um, but um, in that time, 
you know, we experience the presence of God in ways that we hadn't without that. Again, not easy, not fun to go through those things, but to recognize and live out that, uh, you know, God's presence and his love, because he said nothing can separate us. In fact, in those times, we experience even more the love of God. If we're, again, seeking and he says, uh, and we're, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, neither death, you know, and that's a hard one. We've all experienced death of loved ones. There are angels or demons, present the future, any powers, height or depth, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. He calls us back to remember what all that God has done for us. In fact, as we look at those things on the list, the things that the principles of living by the Spirit, are those earned by our disciplines, by our hard work, by trying harder? Who's the power behind every one of those? God is. So how do we live by this higher law of life in the Spirit? You know, what's our part? Nancy always asked me, you know, what's the, the bottom line? What's the so what? <laughs> Paul wrote to the church in Galatia because they seemed to have the same trouble. <laughs> you know, he said they had received Christ, but then they were trying to achieve righteousness on their own. And there were some folks from the Jewish community that had come and told them that uh, Christ was not enough. They had to do, you know, all these things in order to, you know, the, the physical things like circumcision and um, what food they ate and et cetera. And these were people from Gentile backgrounds. Anyway, he, wrote, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, <laughs> you know, who's beguiled you? But, you know, God provides through Jesus all that we need for our salvation, for living that higher law of life in the spirit, that freedom that comes from walking in a relationship with Christ. But he does say there are some things on our part. And I mentioned the Galatians because in chapter 5 of Galatians, he um, makes the point in uh, 5.16, he says, so then I say, walk by the Spirit. That's the first challenge. <laughs> How do you walk by the Spirit? You know, I think that those groups called charismatics have kind of uh, made us a little wary of that term. <laughs> but walking by the Spirit, there's a Chinese pastor, uh, he wrote a book, he called it The Normal Christian Life. That of walking in relationship with God by His Spirit. That the disciplines that we practice, the, you know, having our quiet time, reading our Bible, our prayer time, fellowship, coming to church, they're all disciplines that help us be close to God, connect with God. They help us experience the presence of God. But it's the experiencing the presence of God that makes the difference. The, um, the Pharisees of Jesus' day were among the most disciplined um, followers of God anywhere. The problem was they weren't very godly. <laughs> you 
they were very dependent on their disciplines. They thought the disciplines were what would save them. And what Jesus was trying to point out is, hey, when you don't care about people, you know, when, when there's a man that has a lame hand in your congregation and you are more worried about your definition of the law than about this man, he says, you know, you, you miss out on what God intended. But he says, you know, that the first part, well, the first part, as I've noted up there, our part is, first of all, just to believe God. To believe that, as Romans 8, 1 talks about, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. In chapter 4 of Romans, uh, he quotes Psalm 32 and says, you know, one translation, Oh, the bliss of knowing that our sins are forgiven. That God will never count our sins against us because they were paid for by Christ. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the first part is just to believe God, to receive his grace and his forgiveness and to live in that. And when Satan, as he often does, brings up those sins of the past and tries to make us guilty again, we can claim the promise that Jesus paid for that. The second part of our part is to cultivate life in the Spirit. And that requires some disciplines. And, you know, beginning of 2018, it's great to set some goals. But always remembering that when we don't live up to those, when we miss, when we, you know, uh, how many have broken a New Year's resolution? <laughs> um, that we recognize that those are just a means and that all we need to do is confess sin, be responsive to the Spirit, and we're right, accepted again. <laughs> we're right in the, the right relationship with God. That was the whole point of the Old Testament sacrifices. Did you know that? The Old Testament sacrifice, the annual sacrifice for sin, Yom Kippur, was that the Jewish family brought an animal and they took it to the priest and he slaughtered the animal and the head of the family put his hand on his head and said, this animal is my substitute. It's dying in my place. And God accepted their sacrifice and they had a barbecue together. They ate together with God because they were on right relation. All, everything between them and God was dealt with. Because of that. And it looked forward to the once and for all death by Jesus that provided the sin, sin offering for them <laughs> as well as the sin offering for us. Well, the next, next point from Romans, uh, I'm sorry, from Galatians 5.16, he says, So that I said, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you're walking by the Spirit, He convicts, He challenges, He talks to us, He reminds us, He teaches us, He helps the, the, make the Scripture plain to us, He helps us pray, that daily life with the Spirit. And so, but that's cultivated. It's something that we work at. <laughs> but we work at it in conjunction with God. If we're just, you know, the whole power behind it, it's not going to work. 
But if we connect with God's power, as Paul talks about all through Romans 8, we're living by that higher law that helps us overcome the law of sin and death. And then he wraps up in Galatians 5.25, says, if you're walking by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. That's an interesting thing. I don't know how many of you have been in the military. Um, I went through basic training in the Air Force, and my drill instructor would yell at me, think marching, <laughs> because marching's boring. <laughs> but um, in marching, to keep in step, you have to be aware of the people around you. You have to adjust your, the, the distance of your step to, to stay in step marching. And so it's an interesting concept. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. It means that you have to pay constant attention to Him. To, be, to keep that just kind of tuned in with God and walk with Him. But he, Paul says that we can either try to live our life, you know, well, just give up and live by the law of sin and death. But that's not pleasant because <laughs> uh, the law of death, you know, there's a lot of little deaths that are on the way to the final death. There's deaths of opportunities. There's deaths of relationships. There's things that you just can't fix again when you uh, get into certain sins. You know, again, God forgives, but there's still consequences. So he says, you know, that we can give up. He says, or we can do what Paul talked about in Romans 7. We can struggle and say, I'm going to grit my teeth and bear this. Or he says, we can live by the higher law of life in the Spirit, cultivating that daily relationship with God, with our sins forgiven. And uh, he talks about the glorious freedom of the children of God. That's what he challenges us to in Romans 8. So that's my challenge to you, that in 2018, that you'll live by the higher law, the aerodynamic law <laughs> of life by the Spirit, living in a relationship with God, in joy and freedom and the active presence of God that helps overcome all the challenges that we face in the, our day-to-day -day life. Thank you. Let me just wrap it up with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this challenge. And Lord, do thank you for just your gracious giving to us all that we need for life and godliness. Thank you that it's your gift to us. Help us to learn how to appropriate it, learn how to live in it, and have that freedom of walking with you. Thank you for this group of people and just the, the difference they've made for Nancy and I, the, the encouragement and the strength they provide, and I pray that as we launch into this new year that we'll experience you even more fully. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.